Hey everyone, welcome to the Land of Hope podcast. Come with us this week as we plant our feet in the Land of Hope. Um, So, as they finagle with this, um, turn to Acts 8 if you have your Bible or um, a Bible on a phone. We're going to be talking about Philip in Samaria. And this is going to be our last little bit in Acts for a while. Um, And I think it's interesting that we're ending here in this kind of scattering of the church that we've seen. So if you didn't get to listen to the online service last week, just so you know, our podcasts are back up and running. So if you missed last week, um, the, the latest message will be up the Friday after Um, So right now, the one from last week went up on Friday. So it's there for you to listen to um, wherever you listen to podcasts. Land of Hope podcast, thank you. Brian. Um, (laughs) um, So um, go ahead and listen if you can. But in Acts 8, basically what happens is that Stephen has been martyred, only have they threatened. You know, it's like earlier in Acts when the apostles were put in jail for the gospel, an angel broke them out or someone was there to calm things down. But this time, there's not. And Stephen is um, stoned to death. And after this, the church in Jerusalem scatters. So if you remember, Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the corners of the earth. But so far, um, that has not been Fulfilled. So far, they have just stayed in Jerusalem, and it's this martyrdom of Stephen that prompts them to actually go and do what Jesus asked them to do. And so the takeaway from the message last week is that um, this process here of being scattered because they were afraid for their lives probably didn't feel holy, probably didn't feel like some brave step that they were taking in order to fulfill the word that someone spoke over their life at a spirit-filled night at some big event. It probably felt like H-E double hockey sticks. And there's something to be said for God working even when we don't feel or see or understand, feel or see what he's doing. So they've been scattered. So let's start in verse four. It says, therefore, those who had been scattered went through places preaching the word. And as we talked about last week, this word scattered can also mean sown. Those who were sown, like a farmer sows seed were preaching the word, were preaching the gospel where they had been scattered or where they had been sown. So when we say they've been scattered, we think like an army without a captain, right? Just bedlam running away. But we can also look at it as they were actually being sown from Jerusalem into the world that God was sending them into. So, They are sharing the good news of the word. Preaching literally just means proclaiming. It means telling people. And preaching is is a, um, 
I guess it's technically like a job description now. You can be a preacher, but all it meant then was they went where they were going and where they were going, they shared the good news. Um, One of my mentors who's not living anymore, he's a spiritual mentor. I don't think, did I ever meet him? Anyway, Jerry Cook said that, (laughs) said that they went throughout the world gossiping the gospel. It was just like over the fence, you know, the good news. Um, Over coffee with the barista, you know, just gossiping the gospel. So when you see that they were preaching the word, don't get it twisted and be like, well, I could never do that, right? Because I'm not a preacher. Uh, That is not exactly what it's describing. You know, it's really interesting because a few weeks ago, two months ago, I was at yoga, which is this uh, yoga studio I've been going to for the last few months. And um, I came in and I got to talk with the owner, Liz. She's amazing. She's like the sweetest spirit. And um, she was talking about how she's been listening to a guy named Jordan Peterson. If you know, he's a Canadian. Um, he wouldn't call himself a theologian. He'd call himself, I think he's like an astrophysicist or something. But he has kind of found his way to the Bible and to Jesus. And he shares about that in his podcast. It's very famous. It's interesting when my yoga teacher and Amos's dad talks to me about the same podcast within a week's time. I'm like, those are two you know, (laughs) opposite ends of the spectrum. I haven't listened to him, so I can't recommend him, but from all I hear, he's he's great to listen to, Jordan Peterson. She was saying how she was listening to Jordan Peterson and how he was explaining that the stories from the Bible have stuck with humanity because they teach us things about ourselves. Okay, now she's not a Christian, I assume, so this is her take on it. And she said, it was so interesting, you know, he was saying that the Greek word for sin means to miss the mark, and I said, yes, that's, that's, sin means to miss the mark. And what I love about, I either said Jesus or the good news or what I love about it is that someone met the mark so that I don't have to. Amen. And she's like, oh, I have chills. And I'm like, here I am coming into my yoga class in like, leggings and flip-flops and we're, you know, on my water bottle <laughs> and we're just chatting and God brings up the opportunity for me to just share what it means to me in a way that she understands because she brought it up and, and I'm just, you know what I'm saying? We're just, we're just it, it's not weird. It's not like, I know you're asking about my day and it's so good that you asked because I was reading in John 3, 16. You know, like, it's not creepy. It's just like, would you, like, can we just sow seeds where our feet go as God opens opportunity? And, and, and like, we haven't talked about it since. It's just like, just a little gossip, just a little good news gossip. And then we move on and I believe that whatever seeds God opens the door to plant will someday come to fruition. And I might not see them come to fruition, or I may, or it might be a 12-year process, right? (laughs) Unlike many years of sowing until the seed is ready. So they've been scattered, they've been sown, gossiping the good news of the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them, the Christ, Messiah. So those who had remained, when when Israel was exiled to Babylon, 
hundreds of years before this, um, some had stayed in Judea. Maybe who like Babylon didn't want, they're like, you're fine, you can stay. Um, or, or couldn't make the journey because they were sick or whatever. Some people stayed in exile. They were still um, owned by the, the Babylonians and then the Assyrians. And those people who stayed um, mixed Judaism with the gods and the practices of Babylon and Assyria. So it was a, a syncretism, right, that happened. And so Jewish people thought that Samaritans, these people from Samaria who had remained, were like kind of Jewish, but also not. And Jews would say that Samaritans were the worst kind of people because they knew the truth, but they like mixed that with other gods. Do you see? So it's, it's worse than being pagan, not knowing at all. So that's Samaria. That's where Philip is. So it says he proclaimed Messiah there, and the, they thought that Yahweh was like one of their gods, but they had other gods too. And rather than worshiping him in Jerusalem, they had their own place they worshiped God and believed he tabernacled. So I would kind of compare it to like Christianity and maybe Mormonism, where it's like we, we share common roots, but there's big divergence in the branches, right? Where they might not think that we're saved and we might not think that they're saved, right? So depending on the person. So they thought Yahweh, okay, they worshiped him at their own temple. Jews looked down on them. They were the enemy. And there was a lot of enmity between Jews and Samaritans as we know from Jesus's parable about the good Samaritan. So it says the crowds were paying attention with one mind to what was being said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. Now, interestingly, the other place we've heard with one mind came just a few verses earlier. Do you remember what it was in regards to? Um, close. The last time we heard with one mind was when the mob rushed Stephen to kill him. So the Jews with one mind rush as a mob to kill Stephen and the Samaritans with one mind rush to listen to the gospel. It's at the end of chapter seven. They want to kill him for sharing the gospel, Stephen, for, killing, for sharing the gospel. And the Samaritans, these outsiders, pay attention with one mind. They listen intently. And over and over and over again in the gospels, Jesus says, let the one who has ears hear. So it's not about where you come from. It's about who is willing to listen. Like, do you hear God's voice? Are you soft to his word, his conviction? Or do you think you already know what he has said? Um, so Philip's speaking, as always with believers here in Acts, is accompanied by attesting miracles. So miracles and signs pave the way for hearts to be open to listen. They confirm that God's presence and power is indeed with Philip. So it's not just something he's telling them, but he is able to say, look 
how real God is. Look that God is with us. Or, okay, so miracles and signs are supposed to pave the way for hearts to be open to listen. Except for in the case of the Pharisees and Sadducees, in which case signs and miracles become impetus for their jealousy and anger. So the proof is in the pudding. (laughs) Miracles reveal the condition of the witness's heart, their humility and their position before God. And it says in verse seven, for in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice and many who had been paralyzed or limped on crutches were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. The Samaritans rejoiced to see that God's kingdom has come to them. I think the mark of the spirit working in someone is that they have more joy and they have more humility. I've never seen, how should I say this? I don't feel a lot of God's presence when I'm around someone who's a know-it-all. James, my brother, are you listening? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm trying to think of who I think of as a know-it-all. I'm going back to my childhood. But this idea that the more we experience God's spirit, the more we see him working, the humbler we are. I was talking with my friend Janine on Friday. She's a nurse, and she's been with a lot of people who have died from COVID. Um, She just works weekends, so she sees people on Saturday and Sunday, and then she'd come back to the hospital the next week and they'd be gone. And she's had a hard time in this time of COVID, as you can imagine. And as we were talking, and, and particularly for me, as I'm reflecting with her, the shakedown of the church that has occurred, I don't mean hope, I mean the whole church that has occurred in this last year, right? And, and David said this when he preached here that 20% have stopped attending and 20% have switched churches and the amount of people who, who have a church home now is basically in half. And that bears out across all my pastor's friends. Doesn't matter what size the church is. And as she and I were talking about this, We were saying how when we were 21 and 22, because we went to UW together back then, we knew everything. Our opinions were super strong. We knew how the world, yeah, yes, right. We knew how the world worked. Uh, Janine would say that she could like be really like sharp and cut you and I'm like, no, <laughs> no, you, no, you were not like that. She's, she's like a, if, a, if a sweet puppy was a person who was also a genius, that's her. But I was like, but yes, I know that I was very quick to come with a quick answer and cut you down if I needed to and whatever, right? Even when I was talking about things like the Bible, okay? So not great. But in unison, we were saying this, and we're like, and now, and in complete, perfect unison, we said, we don't know anything. (laughs) And I remember knowing everything. But the older I get, 
the less and less and less I know. And I believe that that is the spirit of God working in me to show me my true condition. I was always known for being this like very like grammatically perfect person who would correct people on their grammar. Isn't it nice to be around someone like that? Yeah, I used to be that person. And I lived for a year in Montana where no one gave a crap who I was or wanted to listen to me. I just washed dishes and served the best I could. It was very disorienting for me to not be the person with a voice on stage to just wash dishes. And I was talking to Andrea and um, like messed up my grammar somehow and she caught me on it and like said, you know, you just said this wrong. You said like better than me rather than better than I. And I was like, oh my gosh, I did. I made a grammatical error. And she's like, honestly, I see it as evidence that the Holy Spirit's really working in your life. (laughs) That you started making mistakes in your grammar and you weren't correcting other people about it. That was a long rabbit trail. Saying that, as we experience the Lord more and more in our lives, we see him move, we experience the Holy Spirit, we should get, I don't want to say dumber, but I am going to, softer, humbler, dumber. <laughs> we, what that really means is like, think less of ourselves and throw ourselves on the work of Christ. And it says in verse 12, so we're skipping down because there's a whole thing about Simon and stuff. We're just gonna skip that for now. In verse 12, it says, when they believed, the Samaritans believed Philip as he was preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were being baptized. And they believed Philip, both about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure that Philip was just sharing with him, with them, things he had heard the disciples share about Jesus. Because if you'll note, Philip was also one of the seven Hellenistic Jews who were admins for widows. He was in the exact same position as Stephen. And he is the main evangelist here. So they believe him And it says both men and women were taking actionable steps to publicly declare, this is my life now. Because being baptized meant you could be persecuted. So until you were baptized into the name of Jesus, they didn't have a leg to stand on in persecuting you. But as soon as you were baptized, it was like like getting married. It's like a legal thing that says, you're a Christian now. It was kind of the putting your money where your mouth is step in the kingdom of God in this time. And in verse 14, it says, now the apostles in Jerusalem had heard that Samaria had received the word of God and they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John, if you remember, were the two that had been together walking into the temple seen the man who had been lame since birth and said, I don't have silver and gold to give you, but in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And then Peter, John, and this man are the ones who are taken before the Sanhedrin and made to give an account for why they're speaking this name of Jesus. So these same two guys, Peter and John, they hear 
Samaritans are getting baptized. Unheard of, unheard of. And they're like, we're gonna send to them Peter and John. So at this point, we can kind of assume that Peter and John are the elders of the movement, the elders of this new church and all the disciples with them, but for whatever reason, they're the two that seem to have those seats. Notice it's not one person. Isn't that interesting? That like maybe the early church was more collaborative than it was, you know, personality-based. So Peter and John had started all the hullabaloo at the temple, right? And these two elders who had walked with Jesus from the beginning are those they send down to Samaria to help Philip. Again, Philip was a Hellenistic believer who we can believe got saved around Pentecost. We, we don't really have reason to believe that Philip had walked with Jesus himself. And to offer, Peter and John were going to offer their wisdom and then also lend their authority to baptize the Samaritans in the Holy Spirit. Because if a Hellenistic Jew says, hey, all these Samaritans are getting saved, that's different than the core disciples who were there from the very beginning saying, this is for them too. And we're confirming that by going ourselves and laying our hands on them. So, Peter and John being part of that process gave it legitimacy with all the Jewish believers so they would continue to become one church rather than the Jerusalem church and the Samaritan church and continue this split that had been present between the two groups. It was also a continued fulfillment of what was prophesied about because it says when the coming of the Messiah happens, God's spirit will be poured out on all flesh not just Israel, not just his people, but on all people. And it says in verse 16, for he, the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what this means is that we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit fall on the 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. We have people being baptized in the Holy Spirit as they joined the church, it's clear that Philip was Holy Spirit baptized and that was part of how they saw themselves as a spirit-filled community. And now we have Samaritans being baptized in the Holy Spirit subsequent to their belief in the name of Jesus and baptism in water. So what does that tell us about the Holy Spirit and how he is working and moving it says the apostles and the new church believed that Holy Spirit baptism was an essential part of being a follower of Christ. Amen. Basically, it's like they are baptized in the name of Jesus, but they're not yet baptized in the Holy Spirit. So send Peter and John down so that they can lay their hands on them and baptize them in the Holy Spirit. And it also tells us that Holy Spirit baptism, at least here in these examples that we're seeing, is a subsequent work after repentance, belief, and baptism in water. So when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's argument, and that's fine. You know, we can have more mystery than we have in our walk of faith, okay? But here in these stories, it seems to be a subsequent thing. So people repent and believe in the name of Jesus, and then subsequently Hands are laid on them and they're prayed for for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and there's some kind of accompanying 
sign or assurance the Holy Spirit's with them. In, in the upper room, it was speaking in tongues. Other places, it's prophecy, which is just speaking the truth with boldness, speaking what's not as if it is. There's healings, right? Prayer for healing, miracles, anything like that. And so this is what I would say about that. If I will caveat all this to say, God can do whatever he wants. Don't put him in a box, right? But in these stories, that is what seems to be the sign of things. Can people be Holy Spirit baptized the moment they believe in Jesus? Absolutely. In fact, the pastor who raised us, Steve Shell, would probably say he was baptized in the Holy Spirit before he technically came to faith in Jesus. He was like 12 and he went to a Quaker. That's right, like Quaker oats straight up. Quaker prayer meeting, woke up on the floor two hours later, remembers the power of the Holy Spirit, and then was like, I, I, I believe in Jesus <laughs> as a 12-year-old. That's how it happened for him. So this is where I'm like, don't get a twist and be like, it's A, B, and C. And if it's not, you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. All we can do is look at the word and say like, what, how did it seem to operate, you know, it, I don't mean it like the Holy Spirit. How did things work back then and how can we do our best to make environments where that, can, that happens now, right? We're just obeying what we see in scripture. So it says, then they began laying their hands on them. So Peter and John were laying their hands on these new Samaritan believers who'd been baptized and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. It doesn't seem to say that some received and some didn't or that some received right away and some had to wait six months. It just says the elders laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. It really can be that simple when we talk about the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this is how I'm gonna bring it around to Father's Day. Are you ready? <laughs> Elders in our lives really do matter. I was reading in Second Chronicles this week where the king of Jerusalem goes to the elders and say, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should do as king? And all the elders say, be nicer to Israel than your father was and they will love you forever. And then he talks to all the young men he grew up with and he, they're like, no, double down. Tax them harder. Make your name great. And it says he listened to all the young men he had grown up with and more than half of Israel rebels. It's ugly. And that coupled with this passage this week and Father's Day, I was like, I think the Lord is saying something to me, but I'll say it's for all of us too. The elders in our lives matter. What they say, what they pray for, how they pray for us. And that was really our um, praise report this week too, right? Lay your hands on me, pray for me that I'll receive the Holy Spirit. Pray for me that God's will will be done, right? Pray for breakthrough, pray for anything else. The elders in our lives matter. It is not enough to just listen to all the people that are <laughs> our age or think like us or whatever else. John, by the way, Peter's an older guy. John is not 
John is the same age or younger than Jesus, which means he's in his early 30s, and yet he is considered an elder in this context because he's an elder spiritually. He walked with Jesus on earth. He's been walking with Jesus the longest of anyone, and he was the only one who did not abandon Jesus at the cross, minus the women, because women always gonna be there. (laughs) So it's really not about necessarily being older as an elder. It's about seeking the people who have the experience or the track record or the anointing where you're like, would you please, I come to you humbly, would you please like lay your hands on me, tell me what you know, right? I'll sit in your presence and be like, you talk and I listen. That's what it is to honor the elders in our lives just as the elders were like sent. And I hate to say, oh, they're special people, right? Because it's like, Philip could have done it all. I'm sure that would have worked out okay. But there was something anointed and authoritative about Peter and John coming to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Elders don't have to be old. (laughs) They just have to be people who've been obeying Jesus, who you admire, who you look up to. And I think it's important for us to also realize that if we've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, there are people we are elders to. There are people we're meant to lay our hands on and speak life into and to encourage. Lay your hands on the people coming up behind you. And fathers in the room, please hear this, especially today. Lay your hands on your sons and your daughters and the people coming up behind you. the friends in your life who are maybe not as mature in the faith as you are or don't know Jesus, you are their spiritual elder. It's not a matter of if you will be, you are. It's not a mistake that you are in their lives. Pray for them. Like I was telling Jamie and Chad after this praise report, I was like, oh yeah, when I used to go on missions trips, If my back hurt or I was sick, I was like, make sure my mom knows. I'm like, if my mom is praying for me, I'll get better. I I have the exact same kind of idea about who my parents are spiritually in my life. I want them praying for me when I'm sick or I don't feel good or anything else, right? And the truth is, is that your position as elder is extremely important because you are meant to be rich and lee for someone. You are meant to be those people for others in your life, for your sons and daughters and friends. Some of us are elders to our parents. Some of us are spiritual elders to our parents. When you need help, find the elders in your life and ask them to pray for you. And when your friends need help, when your sons and daughters need help, I don't care how stupid they think you are. You're like, come here and you put your hands on them and you pray for them. It matters, it matters. So where do we go from here? Well, (laughs) next week we'll be online and the week after at 10 a.m. we're gonna be at our house. We're gonna have a time of worship and prayer and Uh, We'll pray for hope and we'll pray for Tacoma, but we'll also pray for you. 
In our small group a few weeks ago, the whole time we just spent praying for each other and asking God to give us a word or a picture or scripture for that person. And it was powerful. We need that right now. Everything is still (laughs) topsy-turvy, and there's no one in the world who can speak to it as if they are not (laughs) topsy-turvy. We need to hear the voice of God, and we need to worship him together. So it's not gonna be long. I don't think we'll probably spend more than an hour total, but we're gonna spend time in worship and prayer together. So July 4th and July, someone help me, 18, thank you. We're gonna be at our house doing worship and prayer. And then the other weeks we'll be here doing this. Um, And I would just like to pray for us that as we are scattered to friends and family and vacations and everything else this summer, that we will be sown in those places. So Lord, I ask right now, God, for your good word, whether we feel like it's blossoming in our hearts or it has been a seed buried in the ground and dormant. God, we ask you to scatter us in this season, to sow us. And Lord, we acknowledge that you have us nowhere by mistake, that we're not friends with who we're friends with by mistake. We're not family who we are family with by mistake but God, that you have placed us where we are for a reason. And God, just as I was surprised as could be by someone bringing up your word to me, Lord, would you surprise us with the doors that you open? I thank you that even a coward and an introvert like me can share your word because you are that good. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Hi, thanks for tuning in today. I'm Paul, one of the producers of the Land of Hope podcast. If anything that you heard moved you or touched you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. So please head on over to discoverhope.org connect and connect with us. And if you'd like to support the podcast or even sponsor the podcast, just head on over to discoverhope.org giving. Thanks.